Merry Christmas. It is Christmas Eve, and like Bev said, I think I, I've been guilty as well of, of saying to a few people, good morning, and that's uh, the majority of time we spend together is in the AM, but it is one of those unique times of the year for many different reasons, and uh, I want, just want to really say that uh, I appreciate you choosing to be here together as a church family and with many friends and family and visitors as well on your Christmas Eve. And uh, how many here open gifts on Christmas Eve? How many will do this later on if we open gifts? Okay, that's good. Well, I'd like to let you know that you're doing it wrong. That's, uh, I just want to establish that from the beginning. Uh, Karen told me, my wife Karen told me, that I'm not allowed to tell that people just because they do something different that it's wrong, but then that just makes her wrong too. So we're getting off on a good foot here. No, whatever your tradition is with your family, uh, this is an important evening. It's important for many different reasons. I know myself, I'm looking forward to having a meal with my family afterwards, and then, yes, I will open some gifts on Christmas morning. It is time for friends, it's time for family, but it is, again, in in my opinion, it's very critical. It's crucial for us to be able to worship together and to focus on the reason why we celebrate Christmas in the first place. And as we get together this evening, we are going to finish off our Advent series As a church, we've been going through the prologue of John's Gospel, John chapter 1, and then we had that fifth and final Advent reading that uh, Roger read for us just a minute ago. And we are going to specifically be talking about what it means that the Word has come and it's full of grace and truth. I'm going to read the last uh, four verses of the prologue of John. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who was at the Father's side. He has made him known. And last Sunday, for all of you who were with us, we focused on verse 14 and 18, the bookends of that passage, where the the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and how he perfectly and truly reveals the Father as he who was fully human and fully divine. And then verse 15 is another bit of an interruption or an interlude here in John's thought, where he brings us back to what he has already told us, that John the Baptist had a very specific role and ministry to point people, to testify to the the truth of who Jesus is. And he would go on to continue to say in his ministry, when his disciples were leaving to follow Jesus, he would say, that's fine. He must increase and I must decrease. He is greater than me because John the Baptist knew truly who Jesus was. And now it is these in-between verses, that, uh, that idea of grace and truth that we want to spend more time together here. For from his fullness, John says, we have all received grace upon grace. And, and fullness, that word fullness, means exactly what you might think it means. The, the picture here is of a vessel or a jar or a container that has been completely filled to overflowing. Every now and then in my household, my youngest son Silas, who's now four, uh, will like to fill up his own cup. And you know how when we fill up a cup, we leave a little bit of room at the very top, just in case when we're transporting it from point A to point B, it doesn't spill over. Well, 
That nuance is often lost on my youngest son, and he will fill that thing up in the sink until it's just flowing over at the sides, and then he'll attempt to bring that cup to the table and drink from it. We don't often fill something to overflowing, but that idea, that picture is what the apostle wants to leave us with, that, that this is how full Jesus the Word is, and he's full of grace and truth, full to overflowing. And so if that's the image of fullness, what is this grace that Jesus is, is so overflowing with? This, this idea that he has so much grace that it flows out of him and he wants to shower us with this gift of grace upon grace upon grace. And if you go to the Greek, you'll know that the very literal translation of this is grace against or replacing grace. And so if we're thinking of another picture or image, it's that Jesus will give us grace and then once we've received that, well, then he will replace it with more grace and more grace and on and on and on. <clears throat> I was thinking very fondly uh, about the time uh, leading up to my wedding when I was getting prepared to be married, which is becoming <clears throat> increasingly long ago. And uh, my wife Karen went and she was uh, getting ready three weeks in advance. I went a week ahead of time. But because I had just graduated college, many of my friends were just college guys as well. And so they came a good three or four days early, and all my groomsmen were staying at my home and were helping get ready for this wedding. And, and my mom, bless her heart, she made it her life's mission that none of these college boys would go hungry. And so she was thinking, okay, if I have all of these college kids, we're not going to have a shortage of food. And so she'd feed us this, this insane meal. And as soon as that was done, she would give us this huge snack. And as soon as we were done eating, something, something else was put in front of us. It was food after food after food. And, and I just had to go up to her halfway through. I said, Mom, we love you, but you're going to kill us before this weekend is over. You can slow down a little bit. Food after food. And, and aren't we all anticipating some version of that at Christmas time? You're thinking, hey, preacher, as soon as you're done, I get to go home and we're going to reenact this food after food. And again, that's the image. What does it mean to have grace upon grace? One thing after another, after another, after another. Jesus is so full of this grace. It's overflowing from him that he freely wants to gift us this grace, not just one time, but again and again and then again. And as we go and open our gifts on Christmas Eve or on Christmas morning, we are to be reminded of the greatest gift repeated gift that Jesus has given us, this gift of grace. And far too often we think of it in the singular, like a one-time event. And the apostle here reminds us that, no, this is Jesus. It flows out of him. He showers us with this gift repeatedly. But instead of some of these gifts that we look forward to, whether it's some new books or, or video games or kitchen appliances or maybe clothes and perhaps even socks and underwear, whatever the case, whatever's waiting for us under the tree, the gift of grace, the gifts of grace that Jesus wants to shower on us are different. We receive forgiveness and love, mercy when we need it, peace when we desperately need it, contentment with what we have, patience with those around us, a relationship with the divine, and everlasting life. And this gift never stops giving. We have received from his fullness grace upon grace. 
And then John goes on to explain to his readers who are, who are deeply saturated in, in, in Judaism and in this new Christianity that has come out of, of Judaism. And he, he talks about Jesus and Moses in order to describe this grace and truth in better detail. He, he reminds us that the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so there is this comparison given between the person of Moses and the person of Jesus. And it's interesting, when we look at their stories as outlined in Scripture, we realize that there's many similarities to them, especially at the beginning of their life. Both of them, as babies, escaped attempted murder. See, Moses was not allowed to, to, to live. All the Hebrew uh, male children were supposed to be killed at that time by the edict of Pharaoh. And it was only because he was put into that basket and sent down the river that he escaped and was allowed to live. And in a very similar fashion, part of that dark, hard, painful experience of the Christmas story is that out of Herod's jealousy to protect his kingship, uh, from the information of the, the wise men gave him that a new king was born, he would go and he would put to death all of those male children under the, the age of two years in Bethlehem. And it was just, again, a warning from an angel that allowed Jesus and his family to escape to Egypt. And here we find a second similarity, that both Moses and Jesus grew up in some formative years in the land of Egypt. Later on, when they were both called by God, God empowered them to do miracles that would verify and validate that they were truly sent by the one true God. Signs and wonders. And later on, both Moses and Jesus had this incredibly unique role to mediate a covenant between God and his people. The old covenant with Moses and the new covenant in Christ. And to differing extents, both of them revealed God's glory. After Moses went and met with God on the mountain, when he came back down, he radiated the glory of God, even though, as we learned together, that was just by glimpsing God's back for a second. And as John has already taught us, in Christ we see the full glory of the Father from his one and only Son. But it's not only the person of Moses and the person of Jesus that is being compared and contrasted in John's passage. It's also the covenants that they represent. Because as the author of Hebrews goes on to say, Jesus is um, compared to Moses and Moses foreshadowed Jesus, but he is far greater. This is what we hear in Hebrews. Hebrews written by a Jewish Christian who is writing to those who are considering going back to the Old Covenant. He says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house and has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So all that we see in Moses, both the person that he was and the faithful servant that he was in giving this covenant from God to his people has now come true in its complete fulfillment in Jesus. Moses was a servant, but Christ is the Son, the one and only Son. 
John goes on to compare how the law is also different from that of grace and truth. Just as Jesus is now greater than Moses, that new covenant that's available in Christ alone is also greater than the old. Grace and truth are greater than the law. I mean, there's so many places in, uh, in, in Paul's writings that we could look at this tension between the law and grace. But I want to keep it in the book of Hebrews and read now from Hebrews 8, picking up in verse 15. Nope, sorry, in verse 5. Speaking of the high priests of the Old Covenant, they serve as a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted, on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write on them on their, on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, for the, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. That is the foundation of this new covenant. The law, the old covenant, came through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. The old covenant was a shadow and a copy. It looked forward to, it anticipated the coming of Jesus that we celebrate today. And in Christ, we find that ultimate pure fulfillment. Because as God promises in that passage, I will remember their sins no more. We can think of it this way. I don't often do some object lessons or illustrations. I'm going to do so tonight. And I'm going to ask my son Eli to come up, and he's going to help me. And what do we know about the law? What do we know about grace and truth? Well, we know from the story of Scripture that God created us perfectly, pure, white. But our sins of those things that we've done that we shouldn't do, those things that we didn't do that we ought to, have marred that perfect image. It's created a barrier and an obstacle between us and God. What was once white is no longer perfect and white. Whether it's greed or jealousy or violence, all of these things have marred the image. And what the old covenant does through the sacrifice and through the law was cover up temporarily the sins of the people. All of that law would, would be able to be covered over so that a holy God could truly be in the midst of his people. What happened is more sin came and more and more and more and again and again. And the law was never designed to be the once-for-all solution. This, the law was crying out for that one perfect sacrifice. The one time in which all of these sins could truly be covered. When Jesus came, 
It only started with the, with the manger. He grew up. He was on a mission. He had a purpose. He bled for us, and he died for us, and he became the one perfect sacrifice for all people, for all time. The way that that's described in the New Testament is that we are now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. The way that Revelation describes it is that those who are able to wear a spotless white robe are those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And that's not how laundry works, but that's how grace works. We are not perfect. We can never be perfect. The law was a temporary measure to wait for the one fulfillment of Jesus Christ. And in him, we have grace. And in him, we have truth. In him, we have forgiveness. So why? Why do we make such a big deal of gathering together on a night like this? Why do we celebrate so greatly that the word became flesh and made his tabernacle, his tent, his dwelling place among us? It's because he's full of grace and truth. It's because he bled for us and died for us and covers our sin perfectly so that we can have a relationship and life everlasting with the Holy God, who promises that in Jesus, he will remember our sins no more. And that makes for a very Merry Christmas. Let's bow and pray together. Father God, we know from your word that you are the one true God. We celebrate that you chose to make a covenant with your people all those years ago, that covenant that you gave to Moses, that he mediated with his people, the children of Israel. God, I thank you for that. And I thank you that we did not have to continue to live under the weight and the burden of the law, that you would send the one true sacrifice, the spotless lamb, to live for us, to bleed for us, to die for us, and to forgive us once for all, completely and truly. God, I thank you so much that you sent your son into this world to shower us with grace upon grace upon grace. And I pray that we would live in this freedom, that we would live in this truth, that Jesus is who he said he is, that he has done what he says he has done, and that we are free and we have life. We thank you for this. We pray it in your name. Amen.